Hello and welcome to the Get Spanish Football News Show. My name is Tommy Hay and I'm joined here in Madrid by freelance journalist Rhys Tigwell. Now Rhys, as someone who also has a great passion for German football and everything that's that's German, what do you make of Luka Jovic saying that he's no longer going to Spanish classes? Because I'm pretty devastated with that news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a fantastic start for him back in Frankfurt, um, obviously where he made his name for himself. And I think an interesting thing I saw is he's only played 76 minutes so far for Frankfurt. He's already scored three goals, which is one more than he managed during his 18-month period in Spain, uh, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, he's he's played both of these. He's come off the bench for both the games, actually. He's been forced to sort of earn his way back in the team. He's only played one up front. Andre Silva, who was uh, formerly on loan at Sevilla, uh, he's winning that race at the moment. He's having a fantastic season himself. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad at all, like, coming back and doing that. And it's just, it is it is quite funny to see him just so openly talking about how, how little fun he had uh, over here. But it's kind of understandable. It, it was it was, it was was a rough time for him. And, and as you say, he made his name at Eintracht Frankfurt. He's, he was a fan's favourite over there. I know the fans aren't going to be in the stadium, but do you think they'll be happy enough to to have him back sort of thing, you know, when the fans eventually do go back? How do you think the Frankfurt fans would feel about the little jaunt he had over in in, uh, in Madrid? Yeah, I, th- I think there were many fans that were disappointed when he left because he was part of that uh, attacking trio of, of Jovic, Haller, who went to West Ham, and, and Rebic, who uh, went on to, to Milan. Um, all of which have moved on since that time. But uh, now I think they'll be happy to, to welcome him back with open arms. I just think with Jovic, there's, there's certain players that are, certed, that are suited to certain managers and, and teams. Hutter, who was there before, managed him. He's, he's still there. And I think one thing about Jovic, he, he was just 21 when he moved to Spain. He's only just turned 23 now. And his career might not be over in Spain um, and, uh, you know, there's still plenty of time for him to improve. You know what Real Madrid could be like if he, if he has a, a great half this season. He could well be back in Spain next year. Yeah, the, this is the thing. But, I mean, it's, it's, it looks as if he's trying his best to kind of burn his boats, you know, coming out and saying, I'm not going to Spanish lessons anymore. And it's almost as if he's sort of closed the, the book for himself. Although it's true, he's still a Madrid player. It's only a lone move. And it'll be interesting to see how, how that develops. But, yeah. Uh, well, going back to Spain, I think we have to start the show by talking about Atletico, who maintain their lead at the top of the table. It's only been a week since the last time we, we did a podcast, but Atletico have already had two games. They played on last Thursday against Abar uh, away, and then they played on Sunday against Valencia at home. They've had to come behind in both of those games. Um, what does that tell us, if anything, about this Atletico team? What makes them different, or what makes a lot of people think that they're different from the team that we've seen in the last five years? And why do a lot of people, in your opinion, think that they're going to be um, league winners this year? Yeah, I think it's that ability to come from behind. It's sort of that mindset that they just don't seem to know when they're beaten. Um, I mean, and now they've, this summer, they obviously they made the addition of, of Luis Suarez, um, who's at the grand old age of 34 now, but he's still scoring goals. Uh, he's got another goal again at the weekend against Valencia. And... Um, I think Simeone and co will know of his weaknesses. He hasn't got the pace anymore, but he, he's still got the quality. And interestingly, though, I think it's, we should point out that he hasn't scored any goals against any of the top sides or neither has he scored in the Champions League. 
So I think they know what they've brought him in for. And he scores goals for fun against the lower division sides. That's a really interesting point. I'm quite glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people will say, okay, he's he's doing well against the lower division sides, but they should be winning uh, these games. The thing is, you know, you look at Valencia, it's, it's obviously a club in disarray, as we've mentioned before, as we'll probably continue to mention. They're 14th. A-Bar have been struggling for well over a year now. They're 15th. You think Atletico should be beating these teams comfortably. But think back to last season. What were the games that they they, they tripped up in quite regularly? Uh, to go back to September um, 2019 was probably the, the most, um, the, the, the day the kind of illusion started to crash down was already on day four of La Liga. They lost against Sociedad, who were good. You know, they got kind of steamrolled by by uh, by by Sotida de Anoeta, 2-0. So, uh, Odegaard was was on fire. And it was a bit of a reality check. But I think the low point in the season for them was against Leganes. Um, they drew 0-0 at home against them. And it was laboured. It was frustrating. Simeone was getting booed by the fans. And it, it was looking really, really terrible. That was just at the start of the uh, of the new year. Uh, Simeone got booked. I think he kind of lost the plot, and the fans were saying how how much times this guy got got left. He got booked because he was trying to drag one of the leg and his subs off faster. You know, it looked like the whole thing was just falling apart, and it was you know games against Leganes that, that that they were that they were losing. They're winning these games now. They're winning them. You know, they're coming back against these kind of lower division sides, and and uh, this was where they where they tripped up last season. So they need somebody in there that's going to see them over the line in, in these matches. And if you have a player like Suarez who's been at Barca, who just, you know, they don't even think about it. These are games that Barca always win, or Barca in the past have always won. The successful Barca teams have always won. It's a great presence to have uh, in there. And you can't help but draw comparisons between uh, the way Suarez has been this season and the way that perhaps David Villa uh, was when when he came, when, when they won the league uh, back in 2014, similar profile coming from the similar club, and just bringing that kind of extra thing that will see them over the line and uh, against the smaller teams and the kind of must-win games. Um, so you would, yeah, I mean, you you would definitely uh, you would definitely think that they're they're heading in the right direction. We're gonna go over to Real Madrid now because uh, Odegaard's been in the news. Uh, it was on on Tuesday. It was announced that he had officially completed his loan move to Arsenal. Uh, sorry, Wednesday it was confirmed, not Tuesday. Um, he'll be there for the remainder of the 2021 campaign uh, and his wages will be paid in full by Arsenal. Is this good news for everybody concerned, do you think? Certainly good news for for both Odegaard and, and Arsenal, I think. I think it's one thing, is, but he's barely had a chance at Real Madrid. So some people in the press have been criticising him. And, and personally, I'm, I'm not sure what you'd say, but I, I personally, I can't understand that. In December and January, he's only played. He only played against Shakhtar and the final few minutes against Celta. And he's this is now already his fourth loan since he joined uh, Real Madrid from from Norway. He, mm. He's been playing professional football since he was fifteen, and uh, it's just strange how Real Madrid cancelled his Sociedad loan a year early. It was supposed to be a two two year loan, of course, mm. but then they didn't play him. So if they wanted him to come back at that, like he didn't want to come back, he wanted to stay on, and it was clear that he was enjoying himself. But then they call him back, but then they don't play him at the same time. Very, very strange, I think. This is the big question. It was, it was so obvious. He's on record that he was willing to spend another, uh, another season 
at Real Sociedad. Had a fantastic time there last year. He actually had to be convinced into coming back in the in the summer, and it was Dan that had to convince him. He was he he was he was worried that Kroos and Modric were playing at too high a level for him to to break into the squad, and it's more or less exactly what's what's happened. Um, you mentioned the the Spanish press has been a lot of quite high profile. People have come out and criticised him. Uh, Jorge Valdano, ex player uh, and manager, he came out uh, the other day and said that Odegaard uh, lacks patience. A Madrid player has to know how to suffer. He shouldn't give up so quickly, especially given the fact that he's so young and uh, he's he's got to be realistic. He's challenging players that are as good as Kroos and Modric for a place in the starting lineup. But he knew that before he came back and he had to be convinced otherwise. So I don't think they're looking at the, the full pic- uh, picture. As you say, uh, he really has not been given a fair crack of the whip here. Um, I think that's just an objective opinion. I don't think that's really... You know, he said nine games... 367 minutes. Crucially, he's only played five minutes since the 5th of December. So, you know, this is a this is a young guy. He's 22. Um, I don't think you can really be be overly overly critical. Um, another thing that, that I'm, I'm curious to kind of talk about or sort of see what you think about is that there's a, a comparison being made, made between Odegaard and Ricky Puch at Barcelona. There are some kind of similarities, the similar age, Ricky Pooch is 21, Odegaard is 22, and Pooch is um, sticking out. There was an article in Marca today talking about uh, kind of commending Pooch compared to Odegaard, saying, you know, this guy's got the right attitude. He's mm-hmm. sticking out at his club and uh, and he's uh, he's, he's going to get a game eventually, sort of thing, break into the team. Would you think that, like, how would you compare those two players, Pooch and, Pooch and Odegaard? Is one right and one wrong? Are they both right in their own way? I, th- I think they're both similar players, but again, with Pooja in particular, I mean, Pooja has been largely frozen out this season by Kuman. When Kuman, it got leaked in the media that Kuman had, uh, had gone into the dressing room one day and, and, and Pooja had allegedly been speaking out against the club. And ever since that point, he's been largely frozen out. So we haven't seen too much of, of Pooja this season. Um, he actually scored at the weekend, though. And of course, he's he's only five foot five, and of all the ways to score, he scores a fantastic header. Um, again, I think another point again about Udegaard is before the before the coronavirus hiatus, he was one of the best players in Spain without yeah. doubt. And uh, while it may not have gone so well after the hiatus, I think a lot can be said that you know a lot of players and clubs were struggling to adapt to this new environment that nobody had ever seen before. Um, but before that, he, he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he also had a couple of injuries uh, last season as well, and it was maybe struggled to find a bit of consistency there. But I think uh, you made a good point: is that expectations? Where are where is each player in his career? Um, Odegaard, as you say, he's, he's been out on loan, but he's also had two two successful seasons out on loan at Vitesse Arnhem, and uh, and then a really successful season season at, at Sociedad. Um, he's also a full international for Norway. He's played. He's played. He's played at full international level, um, and he's played played at professional level for, for first teams. Pooch is twenty one. He's only played for the Spanish under twenty one team, and it wasn't that long ago he was in Segunda Bay. And there's also, I think, more of a, a chance of Pooch breaking into the team. Coutinho's had injury problems. Ali Nia, you could have maybe said he was perhaps a, a direct rival to him to to get in in certain situations. Well, he's out and loan to Getafe, so there'll be chances there for Pooch. If you're Odegaard, where's your future there? 
are Modric and Cruz gonna drop their level anytime soon? Short of an injury, I don't see either of them uh, moving out the team. You know, so yeah, I think um, you know, good luck to him over over in England. Um, Papi Gomez, we have got to talk about him. He's going to Sevilla. That's been officially confirmed as well. When this was announced the other day, you were very excited on on WhatsApp. What were you so excited about for for Papi Gomez? I think just for fans of Spanish football to be able to be in the presence of Papu Gomez, to be honest. I mean, he he again had a peculiar story. Nobody would have expected a few months ago that Papu Gomez would be playing his football in Spain and with Sevilla now. Uh, I mean, he had that. He was all going so well at, at Atalanta. He was part of that front free partnership with uh, Ilicic and Duvan Zapata or Muriel on a rotational basis. But he had this spectacular falling out with with Gasparini, uh, the Atalanta coach, during the Champions League game against Michelin. Um, and things really weren't supposed to be this way. And he, can can it, can what do you know about that? Because it's it was allegedly over positioning. This was apparently what the the argument was about the uh, Gasparini was having a go at him for for his position on on the pitch, and he, he lost the plot of them. But it um, it seemed to it seemed to be way more serious than that. It couldn't have just been about that. No, and I think I suppose there's only so much you know that's unless you're on the inside, I suppose. Um, but the, but these things happen all the time. So that, as you rightly point out, that it must have spilled over, and think bad things must have been said that we don't know about. Um, but it's, it was as good as over after that point. Yeah, he hadn't he hasn't played a game since mid December when he he came off the bench against Juve, uh, against Juventus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Sevilla have got a cut price fee, believed to be in the region of <clears throat> five million pounds contract until 2024. I think they'll be rubbing their hands together at this point. For the player, he is. I mean, I think Atalanta just wanted to get him out the door. The only thing that they really put the foot down on was that they didn't want him to go to a Serie A rival, but I think they were more than happy to, to let him go. But yeah, what a price you can get that guy for. And he is a, he is a top player. He's, he's incredibly exciting. He's not. I think some people think, well, what Sevilla has been lacking over the last little while has been has been goals. It was certainly the case last season. They were winning a lot of the games, one nil, two one, you know, by one goal margin, sort of thing. He's not a goal scorer as such. He he had one pretty good goal scoring season in 2016-17 where he got he got uh, sixteen goals. But he's not throughout his career in Argentina, Ukraine, and mm-hmm. uh, and in Atalanta, he's not been a, a goal scorer. But he will create things for you. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he's likely to to play in that advanced playmaker role that you see in the the four three three that Lopetegui likes to to adopt. Um, but he can also play out wide and cut inside. Those sort of things that sometimes we saw him playing in Atalanta. I think it'll be exciting to see him link up with uh, fellow Argentina Campos, who's largely been uh, the main midfield attacking threat for Sevilla. I think the main point in all of this for for Sevilla is why they've had such a win is because they never really replaced Benega when he left. And he's quite a similar player to Benega in in many of his traits uh, going forward, small player, nippy getting around the pitch. Um, And the fact that they didn't replace him, but now they've got someone who's, who's, I suppose you could say, akin to Benega Mm. would definitely benefit the squad. Yeah, he's definitely an, an explosive sort of player. Do you think Sevilla fans would be correct in having a doubt about, well, how is, how is he going to adapt to the system? Because it's very, Atalanta are famous for not 
really caring about um, how many goals people put past them, whereas Sevilla are very much preoccupied by that. Lopetegui is an incredibly organised manager, and I think probably the biggest compliment you can you can pay to Sevilla last season was just how organised they they were. Incredibly organised throughout ninety minutes consistently. Um, would there be any concern about how he would slot into that kind of system? I think it's definitely a, a good point to raise. I think that over time, he, you know, he'll, he'll naturally probably, I suppose, adapt to, to his surroundings. The only thing he doesn't have on his side is his age. He's yeah, 32, 32 now. Mm. So you're probably looking at, what, a couple more seasons at, at this level before what happens with most, a lot of South American players go back to Argentina or something and end their career there. So age is not on his side, but quality certainly is. Yeah, it is. And also in terms of the organisation, he might actually be more playable because he, he's played under Diego Simeone, played under Diego Simeone at San Lorenzo uh, way back at the beginning <laughs> of his career. So uh, Simeone likes to organise his teams. I'm sure he'll be I'm sure he'll be absolutely fine. So yeah, I'm really excited about that one as well. I think it'll be good. Um, where do you see Sevilla going this season? Because uh, El Nasiri looks like, it, you know, we've been, there's been talk about him moving away for, for quite some time now. Um, this will soften the blow should he go. Should not. Yeah, I mean, Enziri has been. He, he's now the joint top scorer. Uh, he's in line for the Pachichi with with Suarez, who we've mentioned. They've both, both got twelve goals. Uh, this is Enziri's most goals that he scored in the season. He's only young, of course, but his previous best was nine, and he's, he's in fantastic form at the moment. I mean, this is his second hat trick in the month of January. Mm. The other one, of course, coming against Sociedad. Um, it was an interesting point actually at the weekend um, in the post-match interview he's, uh, that spectacular header he scored um, he actually scored that he came out and said that he actually scored that with one eye because he had just come back on the pitch after uh, treatment for something in his eye and he said he couldn't see so he scored that goal with one eye it was a fantastic goal that's amazing um, yeah and I think he seemingly won the race for, for the number nine uh, role over Luke de Jong who was we should point out first choice for the most part of last season, but he's himself only scored two goals this season in the league. Yeah, very much a kind of big game player. With the young scored scored against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. I remember last season scoring a lot of the what the dead important games and knockout stages of the of the Europa League as well. But in the league, you know, I, I don't think he's quite lived up to expectations. But I think just because of his, you even when he leaves, I think. Probably in a couple of years, people will look back on him and he'll be a bit of a fan's favourite because of what he did in the Europa League and stuff like that. But in the league, I think the fans are very frustrated with him. Um, yeah. You know how how that's how that's gone so far. So, um, is there like obviously things can change from one day to another? But like um, El Nisiri leaving La Liga, like how probable is that? Well, of course, they rejected a twenty-seven million pound bid from West Ham. Um, within the last week or so. But Enaziri, again, in that post-match interview, it's a very, very good journalist dream, this post-match interview. <laughs> uh, he said he wasn't going to go to West Ham this summer. So if there is a move, then I, I don't think it will be until the summer. This window, he said that he, he wasn't going to go to West Ham. But Sevilla, of course, as we know, like like most clubs in the footballing world, is a selling club. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did let him go at the end of the season. But now with only a few days a week, you know, until the end of the transfer window, and they don't really have time to find a replacement for him. So I don't think now would be the best time to 
to uh, get rid of him. Yeah. Actually, an interesting point was um, some people in the press have been saying that they'd be best to sell him now before people actually find out that he's not actually the best striker, which is quite a strange point because he's not really a natural finisher. So <laughs> some organisations are saying sell him now before he gets found out. Quite that's an incredibly cynical point of view to to hold about any any football player. I think that's, that yeah. that's terrible. I don't know. I'm not sure if I subscribe to that. He's he's been. I don't know. That's. I mean, that's that's what people are saying. I mean, they've certainly saved a bit of money on uh, on this transfer of uh, Papi Gomez. So I mean, you could you could maximise your profits, I suppose. And it, yeah, as you say, it is a selling club. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit too late. You know where we are currently. Um, I think if he was going to go, I'm going to stick my neck out. If he was going to go, he would have gone maybe a week or two ago. Uh, yeah, I think it's now I just, think a, right. just a little bit too late for, for him to, to be off. Somebody who is off is William Jose. Um, he's off to Wolves. Um, not the most expensive, saying a 19 to 20 million will be the option to buy um, should, should he have a good loan spell over there. It is a one spell at the moment, but yeah, they could potentially send it for 19 to 20 million at the end of the season at Wolves uh, from Real Sociedad. Um, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a great signing for Wolves. Um, I mean, Jose and, and uh, Jose and uh, Isak have been having their own battle going on in a similar way to Enaziri and, and De Jong. Mm. Um, certainly last season, it looked like uh, Jose had, had won that race. Um, but this season, it seems like the tables are turning and uh, Isak was to be the, the, the true number nine for Sociedad. Um, but as you said before, it's not the first time he's been linked with other big clubs. Um, there was the, the Barcelona incident, but there was also other major European clubs sniffing around him, uh, namely Spurs, when they were looking for a, a backup striker for Harry Kane. Um but of course now Isak, who's also scored five goals this season in La Liga, um, and he hasn't started all the games, and he's got age on his side, whereas Jose hasn't. So I think it is the right move to cash in on him now. That's it. Isak was kind of used quite often as a, if it wasn't working in the first half for for Sociedad, they'd bring Isak on off the bench and they'd maybe switch to a more direct style because it suits Isak a, a little bit more. So that was one of the kind of interesting things to see about Sociedad last season, how they were able to change it up. And it's part of the reason they were so exciting was that they they, they could play kind of free-flowing sort of expansive stuff with, um, with Jose. And then if it happened, the one particular game, it was away to Mallorca where it just really wasn't working and for most of the match up until about the 70-something minute and Isaac comes on and just sort of changes the game and upsets the defence. Um, that was one of the kind of more interesting features of their game to see. Now, Isaac looks like he's going to, you know, he's won the battle by default if, if Jose's going away and he's going to be the, the main man there and he's not a bad striker, you know, he's been linked with other clubs as well. So um, it's probably a shame for for fans of Sotheed in, in, in the short term would be because he's... He came back after after being linked with Barca and stuff like that. There was I don't think he was particularly happy at the club, but he spent a little bit of time out. But he's been great since he's um since he's come back. He scored sixty two goals, one hundred and seventy appearances since he joined them. Um, he only joined them in twenty sixteen. Six so far this season. 
great deal for Wolves, as you say, because you know Jimenez is out for a long time. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Obviously, that that uh, skull fracture. So I mean, he's going to be out for for a long, long time. Not a bad guy to uh, to bring in at all. So yeah, really good bit of business by Wolves. Um, it's kind of sad though, like is, if you're looking at it from a point of view of somebody who's a fan of Spanish football, to see guys. It just seems like we're hemorrhaging players at the moment. Do you, do you get that feeling? <laughs> yeah, I think that's just the nature of the of the economic situation of clubs at the moment. Coronavirus has only has only made that worse that situation. And while whilst the Premier League has in the past usually acquired these players from La Liga as they go on to bigger and, and bigger clubs with more money. I think this situation has only made that worse now. Mm. And I think we can see in the, in the transfer window in Spain, not many clubs have spent that much money because I just don't think it's there at the moment. Yeah, no, it's just it's just not there. And there's been a lot of kind of internal movement. If you think back to Real in the summer, where did they get all these players from? They were kind of from other Spanish clubs, you know, and uh, I think that's kind of going to be a... A future, at least for the for the immediate future. So, um, yeah, it's sad to see, but it's probably just the 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 new reality. Now we mentioned Barcelona just uh, just there. It was announced on Tuesday that the new date for their presidential elections at the club has been moved, been postponed until the seventh of March. So that's when it's going to be provisionally. Uh, Barcelona said it was the Generalitat, which is a, the regional government, that decided it because of the COVID uh, restrictions and things like that. But it gives us a bit of time from our point of view that we can have a look at the, the presidential candidates. So I have to say, we've we've got three of them. They started off, I think it was eight of them started off. It's been kind of whittled down to three. Um, we've got Juan Laporta, we've got Victor Font, and we've got Tony Freixa. Let's just go through the the candidates and just talk about what they're going to offer because it's obviously a pretty critical time um, in Barcelona's recent history you know, at the moment. So, um, starting off with Juan Laporta, what do we know about him, uh, and and what are what are people saying about him? Yeah, so of course Laporta was was a former club president between uh, two thousand three and two thousand ten, and he's largely responsible for for bringing through and showing trust in Pep Guardiola, really. Um, Laporta, like Font, like, uh, yeah, like Font, has expressed his desire to, to keep Messi. And all of them, all of three candidates seem to be pushing along with, with this stadium project, expanding and uh, redeveloping the camp now, which is definitely in need of redevelopment. Mm. I think the media suggests that Laporta is currently the favourite to win to win the presidency. He is the current front runner, yep. Um he's he's in the he's in the pole positions. How much of that do you think is due to the fact that he has spoken about big signings and he hasn't done anything to play down rumors that he is interested in big signings? Like for example, apparently he's he's interested in bringing Erling Holland to the club and things like that. Do you think that would win over a lot of Barcelona fans? I think it will certainly help. I think he's playing into to what fans want to hear. But I think sometimes you could need to question a late, the latest figure released by uh, the media suggests that the current club debt is around 1.2 billion. Yeah. So whether they're going to have enough funds to bring in uh, Erling Haaland or any of these other big names that these candidates have said that they're going to bring in is quite questionable. But whether fans buy into it is a different story. 
Well, I mean, it's uh, all these guys come in on on promises like that. It was Laporta with with Beckham, obviously originally. Um, that was his, you know, one of his big things was that he was going to bring in David Beckham. Um, Madrid ended up getting him and all that. He took them over. One thing I would say about Laporta is that I think a big thing he has on his side is that when he took over from Gaspar's presidency, Barcelona were in a similarly bad situation on and off the field. Uh, so I, I do think that a lot of Barca fans will look back to that time and think, well, he's done it before. There's no reason he can't do it again, albeit a different, a slightly different uh, footballing context with different players and all that. But he knows how to manage a, a crisis. And the feeling that is around the club at the moment is is a crisis. For, for, for years, it's been like that. You know, it's been, the last two years, really, especially the last year, is the sensation just around Barcelona has been complete crisis. So... I think they see him as a, a sort of a president who's good at managing these situations. He's also the guy that there is an element, all, all Barca fans are not all big believers in La Masia. They might talk about it that way, but I don't think they are. They're not all believers in, in the youth system and bringing these guys through. There's a there's an element of the Barcelona support that are perfectly ha- happy for, for want of a better word, to have Galactico signings. And they'll probably see Laporta, he's the guy that brought in Ronaldinho, He's the guy that brought them those years of success between um, 04 and uh, right up until when he when he when he left. Uh, the guy that brought in Guardiola and all these kind of things. There's a definite glamour around uh, Laporta, and uh, I think he appeals to different sections of the of the fan base for for various reasons. And um, I think that's just part of the reason why he's a front runner at the moment. The guy that's in second place, Victor Font. Now he's a Catalan businessman that a lot of people didn't know anything about before he kind of threw his hat into to this uh, race. Is there anything that makes him stand out? Like he does have a, he's got a, quite a lot of high profile endorsements. Carlos Puyol is a fan of his. Uh, he's friends with Xavi. Is there anything that kind of separates him from from Laporta and, and Freixa? I think one of the the main things that separates Font, maybe Laporta is. Well, I know Fleischer is different. We'll come on to him, but Laporta may also follow this, but he's stated his ambitions to bring Xavi in as the manager, as Font. And of course, Xavi had the, many feel that he had the chance to actually be the manager before Kuman, but given the, all the situation and crisis at the club, Bartomeu, Xavi, I think, just didn't feel it was right to go into what is really a toxic environment. And he knew that he'd, he'd get this chance and his chance will come. And a new presidency and someone like Font, if he wins, will bring that for him. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a pretty good point. They went to talk to Xavi just in the the final days of the of, of uh, Valverde's time there as coach. They they were in Saudi Arabia playing the the the, the Supercopa and they flew there. They, they felt it so urgent to, to, you know, to, to fly to the place to... To, to to fly out to to meet Chabi and and have discussions with him. Do you want to come in as manager? While the Supercopa was going on and stuff, um, I think Chabi took one look at the situation. Probably had a maybe a couple of hours reflection and thought, no, no chance of my walking into this because it's you know it's a it's a nightmarish situation really, especially at that time. And maybe slightly better now, but yeah, this intention that he's going to have of bringing Chabi in, and you feel Font is also he's a personal friend of Chabi, so it's not just like he wants to do it. He's got a personal relationship with the guy. I mean, you have to think at least, I don't like to get into the realms of speculation, but you have to think at least Chavi must be slightly on board with it. If you think about it just rationally, like if they're friends, yeah. he's been saying this for months, I'll bring Chavi back and he's been repeating it. 
if if Javi if they're friends with each other, Javi's probably at one point going to say, "Can you stop saying that, please? I'm I'm not interested." Javi must be at least slightly interested. I think that I don't think we're sticking our necks out too much to to say that. So I don't know. I think um, I think it's a big a big winner with the fans that bringing in Xavi as coach. He looks like a Barcelona coach. He's played under Guardiola. He does doesn't says all the right things. He's a club legend. You know, I think that's a big uh, big vote winner. He's also instantly got the support of Joan Gaspar and Victor Font. So the 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 coach the until Bartomeu, the most hated uh, Barcelona president of all time, he actually also supports Font. So he's got kind of across the board support uh, support from quite a lot of people. Um, on the on the subject of Messi, all three candidates have come out and said that they're you know that they have their own approach to to retaining Messi to keep Messi at, at the club kind of thing. That's not a surprise, is it? That they're that they're all making a, a big a big deal of, of what they would do to, to keep Messi at the club. No, absolutely not. I think that Messi, as far as modern day Barcelona goes, Messi is Barcelona. So it's no surprise that all three all three candidates are in their own way discussing ways that they will keep Messi. But I think the ball is not really in any of the in any of their court. It's more in it's in Messi. If Messi wants to stay, he will ultimately decide if he stays or not. I don't think it'll be down to whoever comes in as president. I think no. Messi's lost trust with most people in the club. Yeah, I think that's it. And that that's the defining moment of Bartomeu's presidency is how close he came to almost losing uh, Messi, which you know very nearly happened in uh, in summer and was basically the probably the final the the last straw from him, wasn't it? So all three candidates have come out and and uh, said how how important he is. The the thing that kind of amused me a little bit about Font was just how business-like he was when he came out. He actually came out and did an interview in English. Um, I think it was with Goal.com. Um, he came out and uh, said, retaining Messi is a strategic position which is mutually beneficial for player and club. How business-like does that sound? You know, it's just like... <laughs> and then he said, we'd like to keep him at the club in some capacity even after he retires, which I, I don't think that's realistic. I think Messi's going to go back to, to Argentina probably when he, when he retires. I don't think he's going to be hanging about in the same sense that De Stefano hung about when when his career ended, you know, honorary president or anything like that. I'm fairly certain he's going to go back to to Argentina, but you never know. Um, on to the last candidate, Tony Freixa. Uh He's a Catalan lawyer. He's already been part of several Barcelona boards. He's been part of the board with Juan Laporta, Sandro Rossell, and Bartomeu as well. So he's part of the part of the fabric um, over there. It's the second time he's ran for president as well. He did it the last time against in, in, in 2015 when Bartomeu was running as well. So he knows what it's all about. It's quite old school and he wants to get back to Barcelona values and he sort of pre- presented himself as a kind of common sense option. But he's third. Why do you reckon he's third and not first or second? Uh, I think he's quite... He's just like the rank outsider especially of his views as well. If you look at his views, he's, he's publicly back Kuman. I don't think we know Font, of course, wants Xavi. Laporta as well, I think, would also go for Xavi. But uh, Freixa has, has said that the Dutchman will remain at the club under his leadership if he wins. And he's also ruled out big money signings. He said he doesn't want to bring back Neymar. And uh, I think he's looking for ways to, to differ himself from the other two. I think he probably knows that, that he's in third place. So by perhaps going to more extremes and, and saying certain things, it, it may give him a better chance that fans might buy into it. 
But I think one point is that Laporta and, and Font have said all these ambitious things, but Fraser is actually, if you look at his policies and his views, he seems the most sensible, um, yeah. especially given the club's, as we said, over one, one billion debt. Um, Fraser is talking more in the realms of reality rather than uh, ambition. It doesn't sell. It does not sell at all, though, does it? Reality doesn't sell. If you're saying, you know, right, okay, let's let's do that. It's not not exciting. There's no, there's no, you know, like you look at the uh, um, fonts uh, font slogan for the thing is yes to the future. You know, all three slogans are boring, but that's at least boring. You know, it's at least it's an optimistic uh, vision. Uh, Tony Fraser's slogan is uh, loyal to Barca, fidel al Barca. It's kind of kind of boring. It's like going back to the past, and I think people there's a general thing of people wanting to to move forward. And as I, as I touched on before, I think there's a way bigger segment of the Barcelona um, support who, as much as they'd hate to admit it, are quite similar to the Madrid support. They do want big money signings. They do want Galacticos. They're not, they don't have patience. And for all, I think we try and dress, uh, there's probably a certain thing that goes back a few years now, back to Cruyffism, and back to the Guardiola years. There's a slight romantic idea that you have of Barca that, no, it's all about La Masia. It's all about football and philosophies and things. Listen, if they had the money there, I think uh, a lot of fans would be perfectly happy to bring in these people. So Freixas trying to sell them a, a, a sort of dose of what he considers to be reality. Um, it doesn't sell very well. There's, there's nothing, you know, like on Neymar, for example, he says they, he ticks all the boxes on the field, but there are other characteristics that we've come to expect of Barcelona players where he's uh, fallen short or he's... Um, he, that he's failed to demonstrate, basically. So he's basically ruled out one of, one of the things, one of the key things that a lot of Barcelona fans have been wanting to see for, for the last at least two or three years. Um, I think that immediately just kind of cuts him out. So that's part of the reason I think he's third, <laughs> not a second or first. You know, maybe if he changed it a little bit and kind of, I don't know, made it a bit more exciting, he'd, he'd, be, he'd be somewhere. What do you think of the club's slogans, just to finish? We've got uh, Joan Laporta, STMM El Barça, we love Barça, boring. Yes to the future, CL Futur. It's all right, isn't it? It's probably the best of the three. Yeah, I mean, none of them are, as you pointed out, none of them are tremendously exciting, but it sounds quite convincing, I suppose. Yeah, for how exciting Barcelona's been in the last little while, all, <laughs> all, all three slogans are spectacularly boring. So anyway, well, we're going to move on to the Copa del Rey uh, just before we go into the weekend's preview. Uh, we have to talk about the Copa del Rey. Have there been any highlights just in the last week or so uh, for you in the Copa? Yeah, I think it's that Alcayano, uh incredible with two contrasting worlds collided into something I just think there must be something seriously wrong at Real Madrid for, for that to happen. Um, we should point out that Alcayano is have got an annual budget of just £700,000. They're in the third tier, they're part-time, and they had 10 men, there was no fans, and they're beating the biggest club in, in, in world football. The star of the show was Jose Juan, the goalkeeper as well. He's 41 years old. Just like he he was the <laughs> undeniable star of the show. The pitch was one of the worst pitches I've ever seen. I, I, I think I, I've seen videos of George Best playing on pitches that were um, better than that, you know. It was like mud heaps, you know. It was unbelievable. There was a moment in the Isco went to ping a pass and the ball's just kind of moving across, you know, very, very slowly just at the 
at very very slow speed and it bobbled up just so he pulls his leg back and he he, he sort of shanked it like a golf shot right, right off his shin and stuff <laughs> I think a lot of these guys just wouldn't have been used to playing on, on turf like that I think it was a shock because it was a more or less it was a full um, Real Madrid starting lineup. And Benzema started you know Esco in the fray uh, Kroos came on off the bench Asensio came on off the bench they played their first team players the first team players were at least all there in the stadium um, and they were they were they were beaten, you know, the pretty pretty convincingly by these guys. It was really amazing. Yeah, and I think I like that though. I'm not sure what you think, but when the pitch is like that, it gives it more of a a proper Sunday league or a FA Cup tie, like yeah. when Marine played Tottenham recently. It brings brings those these elite players down to the level of what I suppose the real football was like, and uh, for most of the population. Harsh, yeah, yeah, the harsh realities of uh, of uh, the situation at this club. Yeah, yeah, it's Segunda Bay level. That's what they play on kind of week in, week out. So, yeah, really, really amazing. Alcayana are actually they're quite a big um, team in kind of Spanish football culture. Um, there's there's actually an expression in just normal Spanish, which is uh, to be braver than Alcoyano or tener más valor que Alcoyano. <laughs> And it's in normal Spanish like language expression. It just means to be really brave, to be really like to have a never say die attitude. Uh, and it goes all the way back. There was a game, I think it was in the fifties or something like that, when um, Alcoyana were losing seven one, and their striker tracked all the way back to to tackle one of the forwards or one of the midfielders, even though they were losing seven one. So it was in the newspapers and stuff, and it's, it's entered into like the Spanish language to be braver than Alcayana or to have a never say die attitude. So they're a big part of like Spanish kind of football culture and stuff. But nobody, nobody was expecting that result, especially when you see the starting lineup that that Madrid has. So possible pressure on Zidane. It seems to happen wherever Madrid go in a kind of bad run. Um, it was like that that they were talking about. If you think just back recently to the Champions League when they lost against. Um, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk uh, for uh, at home and it was like it was the, the game afterwards was you know they were really setting themselves up for the, the press were setting themselves up for as they done second and they put down um, München Gladbach as a sort of final game and as it turned out München Gladbach just did not turn up they were as, <laughs> as bad as they played all season um, and he kind of it was always forgotten at least temporarily but it seems like it's back to the similar situation. It was a it was a massive embarrassment for him. Do you see Zidane as being under pressure particularly or is it just part and parcel of, of what happens at Madrid? I think there's an element of that. It is definitely part and parcel. I think as a as a real manager, you're always under pressure from the moment you step in the door to the moment you leave. Um I think it'd be it's hard, I'd say, to at this point to see Zidane in the job next year. I think there's a lot of talk about that as well. However, Zidane and, and the Real Madrid mentality is, you know, when the going gets tough, they always seem to find a way to dig themselves out and, and to to recapture these former glories that they've had. And Zidane, of course, will know that more than anyone, all the success he's had at the club. I think he deserves special treatment and uh, extra, extra uh, care and consideration when they decide to sack if they decide to sack him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not Chelsea, you know, they wouldn't just get rid of a, a, <laughs> a club legend like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one to see if he's going to stay there. I think the board actually are quite happy with him because he's he's doing what they 
sort of would like a manager to do at the moment. He doesn't really rise to the bait in press conferences. He doesn't entertain the press when the press are asking for big money signings and all that. He, he's very good at um, as a sort of PR person for the club. So I think for them, I think Redux would have to get pretty bad on the pitch for for them to 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 sack him. But maybe something could happen over the over the summer where he just quietly kind of sort of shuffles out the door. But you never know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually wouldn't be too surprised to see him here um, next season. I really wouldn't. It's just the, the way things are going with the things behind the scenes at, uh, at Madrid. They're going to be wanting a kind of a guy like Zan who knows the club and also who can control the press and control the public image of the club. Uh, given all the money that they have to spend at the moment, they're paying for that new roof at the Bernabeu and stuff like that. They've, you know, they've got a lot of kind of uh, expenditure and, and stuff. And Zidane's very good at just sort of calming the circus around the club, even when they lose in games like Alcayano and, and all that. Um, just finally on the Copa del Rey, Betis versus uh, Real Sociedad. Um, Betis are in the quarterfinals now, beat Sociedad 3-1. This was some game, really, really good. It went to extra time. We had everything. We had fog where you couldn't even you couldn't see it half the time <laughs> um we had you know two teams that they'd, they'd actually just played each other at the weekend they'd, they'd drawn two two at the weekend at anoeta so i think that actually the stronger side in that one they look kind of more like a cohesive whole like a kind of better better team all around but then the game started the other day it was about 50 50 um and it was going it looked like something would make were maybe just gonna win it they'd gone one nil up or your thabo had scored and then, as they have done a few points this season, they just pressed the self-destruct button. Um, Iara booked, uh, again, second yellow, red card, right at the beginning of the first half. He'd been warned, actually, by the referee. He'd had a, another a dangerous tra- <laughs> tackle when he was already on a yellow card. Been warned, went in, just flew into a challenge, wildly kicked uh, the Betis player to get sent off. So then they, they had to play 40 minutes with... With 10 men. And um, Betis just carried on doing what they did. End up winning 3-1. Massive night for Borja Iglesias, which is just just a wonderful thing. The guy scored in, uh, two goals after everything he's uh, he's gone through. It's just it's not been not been working out for him at all um, at the club. So, yeah, really, 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 really happy moment from there. Scored in a brace. He only scored uh, three goals last season in the league. He scored once so far this season. Now he gets two in the cup. He was on a TV show last night called Chiringuito de Julanes, which is like a kind of, um, it's a bit of a naff television show where they talk about football. It's really naff. It's really like kind of, it's just, it's, uh, don't watch it. It's really, really bad. It's like a low budget match of the day. But he was on this thing and there was one of the guys from uh, from Seville interviewing him. And uh, he looked like he was about to cry with emotion, you know, just about how how much the, these two goals meant for him. Um, Betis and the Copa del Rey, that's them in the quarterfinals now. Would you maybe how would you see them going? They could maybe win it. I think they definitely got a good chance. Um, but we should know that there are big teams still left Sevilla, uh, Villarreal, and, and uh, Barca are likely to, to get through against uh, Real Vallecano this evening. Mm. Um, but they're in, with a, they're in with a shot, and uh, Iglesias as well, as you mentioned, he hasn't had the best time. Uh, uh, Betis he's largely played second fiddle to Sanabria mm. who's been the, the main man really um, it's surprising as well though because just two seasons ago he had that fantastic year at, at um, Espanyol he's got 17 La Liga goals and also before he moved to Espanyol he was at uh, Zaragoza and he uh, on, yeah. in the yeah in the second division and uh, again he had a, a great season there so it's, 
perhaps strange that this didn't materialise for him at Betis. Perhaps there's more pressure. There's there's definitely more competition for places. Yeah. Um, but hopefully this is the start. Yeah, biggest that. Yeah, it was it was weird that it never like, kind of worked out under Ruby because Ruby was his manager at, um, at Espanyol as well. He signed him, he brought him in. You think he would have played in his system? It would have been good, but it just didn't work out. So, yeah, it'd be great to see if he could uh, kick on from uh, from this. Right, just to finish, uh, we're going to have a look at the uh, the fixtures this weekend. Any fixtures that jump out from you on uh, for for Saturday Sunday? I think the Barca the Barca Athletic game. Um, Obviously, a chance for Barca to continue their good recent form in the league. Uh, I think they're nine games unbeaten at the moment in the league. Um, strangely, this is the second time that these two teams will meet each other in the league this month. Hmm. Barca won the first game 3-2, which was Marcelino's first game in charge. Um, but, of course, Athletic got their revenge when they beat them in the Super Cup a, a few weeks ago. I think it'd be a really good game to watch. Yeah, that's on the Sunday evening. I think that will be a really good one to watch. We spoke about Marcelino last uh, last week, and just he's really looks like he's turned things around. It was looking a bit stale under Garitano, and yeah, he really looks like it's turned around. Not just in the not just in the cups, but there seems to be a really good kind of feel good factor, and it's been good to watch everybody giving them the the guard of honor as they as they, <laughs> as they step into the uh, the stadium and a great win against Getafe the other day as well. Absolutely hammered them five one. So yeah, looking really good. Um, be a Real Real Sociedad that would be the one I would uh, pick as a game. That looks a good one uh, as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's between two teams fighting it out for Europe. Sociedad have somewhat fallen off, and mm. it wasn't too long ago they were top of the top of La Liga. Now they find themselves in sixth. Uh, they're faltered a little bit recently, but um, fifth v sixth, both still in with a shout of, of Champions League. It's perhaps a little bit unrealistic, uh, given the, the quality above them, but it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. A lot of people tipped BRL to be the you know number four maybe this year finishing fourth going one better than last year with the finishing fifth under Caeja um you said before the program you you're fairly certain it'll probably stay more or less as it is or it probably won't vary too much like would you can you can you see BRL breaking in to the top four no no I think it'll be the top four as it is maybe third and fourth or switch like Barca and Sevilla switching over and I think fifth and sixth will actually probably say like that whether who comes sixth and who comes sixth, I'm not so sure. I think Villarreal have been hampered by obviously Gerard Moreno is is out injured at the moment. He's scored ten goals this season in the league. Uh, I think he's he's pivotal to to how the team are, and I think as well uh, Paco Alcácer mm. is perhaps not being at, at the level we we thought he would have been this season. Combining with Moreno, he's only scored five goals, um, and of course they had that where they had Kubo there. And Kubo's now uh, Hatafe. Um People quite. Su- I think some people were quite surprised when when he left Real. But I think the argument there is that why would uh, Emery give Kubo games when if he's got his own young talent coming through? Because if Kubo does any good, he's either going to be at Real Madrid next season or sold on. So if he's got his own talent coming through, then. I see it as right that he's he's prioritising them. Mm. Yeah. Oh well, it'll be. Um, I, I I think I probably agree with you. I think it's. Uh, I think it will probably stay more or less as it is. So if the dad have slightly faltered and 
there was again there was a big romantic thing about you know will they maintain that thing will they go one better than last season it looks like it's slightly going they look more like the second half of last season than the first half of last season um, at the moment so well it'll be interesting to see we'll um, we'll obviously comment on that as the weeks go on well that's been a, a fair few minutes so I think we'll call it a day there thanks uh, Reese for joining us for the for the first time it was a lot of fun talking to you we'll be back again next week on wednesday thursday or friday we're not entirely sure and uh, to comment on uh, you, you never know you really never know but we'll be back next week at some point so thanks for joining us as always and we'll see you again soon adios